Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. And today I want to talk to you about some good news called boldness. And I want to share with you about, I believe the source of boldness is found in, his, in God's purpose. I want to talk to you today about bold purpose. Is that all right? If it's not all right, I'm going to do it anyways. Um, if you are new to our church today, uh, if you're watching online, I would love it right now if you grab your phone out. Uh, this is the only time of the service I'd encourage you to be on your phone. But if you want to grab your phone out and share this message on Facebook, if you're watching right now, I would love it if you click that share button. That helps us reach thousands of people with good news that need it. And so if you go ahead and share that real quick. Uh, I want to open up my Bible. If you're brand new to our church today, I'm going to open up the Bible. I'm going to read about 17 verses out of the book of Joshua. And uh, I want to talk to you today about bold purpose. Is that okay? Bold purpose. And uh, if you get bored today at some point, you're a boring human being. Because I'm not a boring preacher. If you fall asleep today, you have narcolepsy. And uh, we're going to have a good time. If you believe it, come on, say it, amen. Don't let the Caucasian skin fool you. Come on. I feel like preaching with some passion up in here today. So we are going to get fired up. And uh, if you got your Bible, uh, Joshua chapter 2. I'm going to read, last week we talked about four Jewish boys in the book of Daniel. The week before that, we talked about a really bold star named Esther. Uh, The week before that, we talked about a really crazy uh, young man charging a giant by the name of David. And today, we're going to go back to another historical story out of the book of Joshua uh, about a woman of the night by the name of Rahab. We've kind of been bouncing back and forth. And can I just let you know that God loves women? He does. Scholars tell us that no religious figure in history has empowered females like Jesus. No one. He uh, he came on the scene, let someone like Mary sit at the feet of Jesus. And people get think they, they get it so twisted. They think, well, man, women don't have a role in the church. They can't they can't be involved in ministry. They can't be involved in really like really being vocal for God. I want to remind those people that the first evangelist on the earth was a woman that was formerly demon possessed. She was the first one that said, I saw Jesus resurrected. Come see him. So I just want you to remind all of you that think women don't have a role, that the first preacher of the resurrection was a woman. Can I remind you? Can I also remind you that when the woman, Mary, sat at the feet of Jesus, that wasn't, Martha wasn't ticked off because Mary wasn't helping her make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. She was ticked off because Mary had the audacity to sit at the feet of a rabbi which to sit at the feet of the rabbi, it actually it, it insinuated that the rabbi believed that they could learn what they knew so they could become what they were. This was a big deal. And so I want to just remind you that I love talking about Esther, and I love talking about today Rahab, a prostitute woman, uh, because I'm just telling you right now, some people think that God only uses certain types of people and certain genders, and I got good news for you today that God is for all people. And only half the room is excited about that. That's all right. That's okay. We're going to have a good time. Matt, Joshua chapter 2. We're going to have a good time today in this place. I like ruffling some feathers. We're going to kick some sacred cows. Is that all right? Joshua chapter 2. I'm going to read 17 verses, uh, and everything I talk about today is connected to these 17 verses. I'm going to pray for you, for me, and for the Dodgers, and then I'm going to tell a couple stories. Uh, if you laugh, we call them jokes, and then I'm going to land everything back at the end of the service to really five ideas I want you to leave with today that are actually connected to purpose. 
And I believe that knowing your purpose is what gives you confidence to live with boldness. So Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Anun, the son of Nun. Come on, just making sure you're with me. Uh, he sent out two spies into the land of the grove to uh, secretly check out the land. He said, go view the land, especially, especially Jericho. So they went, these two spies came to a harlot by the name of Rahab. What's her name? They stayed the night at this, this brothel, and it was told to the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there's some guys here tonight from the children of Israel that came to search out our country. So the king sent to Rahab, saying, Hey, where these men have entered your house? They came here to search out our country. For the woman took the two men. She actually hid the spies and then told the king's military, Yeah, they were here. They came, but uh, I don't know where they went. I'm not even sure where they're from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, they actually snuck out when it was dark, and they went out. Maybe, maybe if you guys go right now quickly, you can overtake them. But she had brought them actually up to the rooftop and hid them in her, in her roof. And it says that the men then pursued by the road of the Jordan, and as they came back, uh, they didn't find, find the guys. In verse 8, now before, before they, they laid down, she came up to the rooftop, and she talked to these two spies. And let me just give you a reason today. Can everyone just look up for a moment? Why in the world would a Canaanite prostitute risk her life to harbor the enemies of her city? Verse 8 and verse 9 give us the explanation. She says this like this, I know. Say with me, I know. I want you to know that faith lives in these two words, I know. Fear lives in three words, I don't know. I believe you choose what words you prescribe to. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. The terror of you guys has fallen on all of us and the inhabitants of the city. All of us are faint-hearted because of you guys. For we have heard, say with me, heard. God is not some merciless God that just punishes people that never had a chance to turn to him. These people heard the messages. They heard the stories. And it says they heard about how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. When they came out of Egypt and when they didn't, and what God did to the two kings of the Amorites, how God got rid of the Jubasites, the, the, the Hibbasites, the Canaanites, the Parasites. God was big enough to get rid of the Cellulites. Come on. It's a powerful God. God pushes out all the enemies of, of, the, of, of, of the Canaanites. And, and she says, and we know how the Lord, your God, he is the God of heaven above and earth beneath. Now, therefore, verse 12, she negotiates. Therefore, because of this, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness and spared your lives, that you will show kindness to my father's house. Give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, and maybe a couple of my sisters. Kidding, all of my sisters. And all that I have, and deliver our lives from death. And so they answered, and they said, our lives for yours. If you tell this business nobody, we got a deal. If you, if you do tell, we're out of it. So they let him down by a rope through the window. And let's fast forward to verse 17. And uh, it says, all right, when we come back, when God gives us this city, if you will tie a red scarlet cord to the exterior window, which, which it hangs outside of the wall, anyone that's in your house, we will save. Anyone that's in that room will be saved. But if they're outside of the house, it's, the blood's on their own head. So they make a deal. They agree to it. And it says that right away in verse 21, she goes, according to your words, let it be. And she actually tied up a scarlet cord that day 
to her window. Verse 21. Chapter 6, a couple more verses. We'll finish up. They came, and if you know the story in Sunday school, I'll, I'll paraphrase. They come on the scene, not with a military, but with a choir. And they march around this city, this great city that has walls that are so tall and so wide, they did chariot races on top of them. It was an impenetrable city. And after six days of marching around this city, once a day, on the seventh day, they march seven times, they shout, the walls come down, and wouldn't you know it, everything is gone except one little portion of the wall that has a red scarlet cord hanging out of it. And it's amazing that we, we, we read here that when that happens, Joshua sent two men, chapter 6, verse 22, into the country and say, hey, go to the harlot's house and bring out that woman, all that she has, as you swore to her. So they went in and they grabbed her, they grabbed everything. In verse 25, Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, all that she had. This is where it gets crazy. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out the land. I want to talk to you today about bold purpose. Is that all right? Let's pray real quick. God, I just thank you that you're here. I thank you that you're moving. And I thank you that where darkness is aggressive in our nation and our land, and there's so much obvious evil in the world right now, I pray, Lord, that obvious righteous power would come. I pray that, that, that righteous, obvious love would come. I pray that, Lord, as darkness has been parading itself, I ask you that today your light would parade itself. I ask you to heal the unhealable. I pray you cure the uncurable. I pray you'd encourage those that need it. And I pray you'd meet people where they're at today. We love you so much. Speak to us. Lead us and love us. And we pray bless the Dodgers in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Come on, everybody said amen. Y'all all right? Uh, I've, uh, I've always been fascinated by the way that some people see the world. I have found that comedians, I really, uh, really respect how they are able to see what everybody else sees, but they see it completely different. I heard about one comedian that was talking about, you know, like observations like, why in the world is there no mirror at the self-checkout? Always takes a few minutes for that one. Just things that you see, they say things like, why are stay-at-home moms always gone? Why do they call it rush hour traffic when no one's moving? No one's rushing. Why do people take marble for granted? They see, they see words and play on words. I actually had a, I had a, a funny, uh, one of my favorite comedians was talking about this, but he was just talking about how he went into this, this store and on the table it said everything on the table under 99 cents. Uh, and everything on the table, 99 cents. And so he actually loaded his card up with everything on the table. And they started scanning each item, $1, $1. He said, no, 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 no. It says everything on the table, 99 cents. And the lady goes, sir, you're the first person to read that wrong. He goes, I'm the first person to read that right. Can I get an amen? There's so many things that just are kind of funny. You know, why, why do feet smell and, and, and your nose run? I don't, I don't know. Like, well, you're, I, don't, I don't know why we recited a play and play at a recital. I don't know why there's signs. This is, this is a real sign. Joe found this sign earlier. His sign says, caution, Road wet when it rains. Whoa. Powerful. The signs that get me are the capacity signs. Who's ever seen capacity signs? As, first of all, I don't know who the grammar expert was that, that labeled every elevator sign. But why in the world does it say max capacity 12 persons? 
You notice that's wrong? Maybe? Should it say 12 people? Okay, just checking. Made me feel better. I think one thing that we don't need to have capacity on is outside hotel swimming pools. I think we got to stop lobbying for the law of capacity at swimming pools. I think it's self-evident. You see 600 people in a pool, you're not getting in. I think we're wasting materials, people. It's like, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous that we don't look 105 maximum capacity at the swimming pool. I'm not getting in if there's 90 people. If my body is rubbing up against other bodies in the pool, no one has to tell me that we're maxed out. That's like walking into a bathroom that has a maximum capacity on every stall. When I see feet under the doors, I keep walking. Are you following me? You see, signs, they, they tell us the purpose of something. Signs oftentimes will, will give us a distinct designation for something. And I believe that Rahab is one of the coolest signs in the Old Testament about how God's purposes can still prevail even in crazy windows of history. I was reading this for the first time with a new set of eyes, and I started seeing, man, this woman Rahab was going through what we are going through. She saw the potential change of the, the government. She saw the change of power. See, she saw the certainty and maybe destruction. She saw the imminent threat of change. She saw all these things. Her blood pressure was rising. She saw armies rising up around her. She saw all of these uncertainties of the future. And it's amazing to me that this prostitute woman finds her way into the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 when she is raised in one of the craziest windows of history. Have you read Hebrews 11? Talks about all these amazing things. And Abel pleased the Lord, right? And Abraham was righteous. And, and Isaac pleased God. And, and Jacob walked with the Lord. And Joseph was a, was a great man. And Noah pleased the Lord. And it's like all these like kumbaya amazing men of God. And then it's like, oh, and then Rahab the harlot. It's like, does that fit in Hebrews 11? I feel bad for her. Her name already is tough. It's so close to rehab. This girl's already had a difficult life. She's in the Bible eight times out of the eight appearances. Five times, she's not just Rahab. She's Rahab the prostitute. Like, come on, guys. Can we just, like, give her some grace, you know? Can we just call her Rahab the sweet lady? The welcoming host? Why do we have to label her like that? But I believe there's something about our personal stories that are signs to the world. I believe that Rahab becomes one of the greatest signs of what God can do in a crazy political landscape, in a crazy economical landscape. I would even say that she is a sign and a wonder of what God can do after pestilence, after plagues. She is an ancient picture, a sign of what God is capable of doing with a life that has his purpose attached to it. You see, I believe that when you're in your lane, confidence comes from doing what you were made to do. I'll be honest, I was talking to my daughter this week. We went, we, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were at a hotel and we were swimming. I haven't swam with my 12-year-old who looks like she's 23. I haven't swam with her in a while. We, she's like, let's race, Dad. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm a pretty good swimmer. And I try not to let my kids win too much, you know, keep them humble. <laughs> Kidding, I do, I do. But we started racing and my daughter, she takes off and I'm not, I, I give her a little head start, you know, I'm like, oh, go ahead. So she starts taking off. So I start swimming and I'm like, I'm not catching her. And then my pride was on the line. 
So I go full speed as fast as I can, and I'm not lying. I barely catch up to her. I'm like, I got, I got there. I'm like out of breath. It's like, who are you? And we discovered that my daughter is like a prodigy swimmer. She's like the female Michael Phelps. And I'm like, we got to get you into swimming. That's why I told her, I said, Kenzie, you can do whatever you want sports-wise, but it's so fun to do something that you excel at. Do you know that your shape reveals your purpose? Do you know oftentimes your gifts, your talents, your interests? Many people are so mistaken. They think that if I become a Christian, if I believe in Jesus, I have to move somewhere I don't want to live. I have to love people that I don't want to love, and I have to do something I never wanted to do. Do you know oftentimes God reveals our purpose through the way that he's made us according to our interest? It's amazing that when you're musically talented, oftentimes that's what God redeems. When you are business savvy, that's what God uses. When, are you hearing me today? When you are good with kids, when you're great with counseling, when you're hospitable, when you have the gift of leadership. Listen, God does not turn you into somebody else when you become a Christian and completely disavow who you used to be. There are some things from who you were growing up that God redeems. I believe that confidence comes from walking in your purpose. Boldness comes when you walk in your purpose. My daughter can be bold in the swimming pool because she's so good at it. And uh, I want you to know today, I was reading the story, and I believe that, listen, a sign and a wonder to the world is that she was facing this imminent threat. There was certain destruction already forecasted that this is doomsday. And she has this radical surprise to her surprise. There's a at her door. You just appreciate that? There is a knock at her door. There's two guys at her door one day. And she finds out through a turn of events that these guys represent the army that's getting ready to wipe out her city. And she had a choice that day. Because you know what the true story is, is those people living in the land of Canaan, they actually had three choices. They could actually relocate because they know that God was with these Israelites. We can move and let them take over this land because God's going to give it to them one way or the other. We can surrender to them or we can fight. And I believe that today there's three, only three options to Jesus. You can actually run away from him, but you can't outrun him. That's the only problem. He's got better stamina than all of us. And you can, out, you can run from God, but you just cannot outrun God. You can not only choose to run away from God, you can actually choose to fight him. You can say that all of your problems, challenges, and struggles are God's fault. You can give God credit for either your bad decisions or the bad decisions of other people in your life. But I want to remind you today that God is not your problem. He's your solution. And you can be like Rahab. Out of everyone that heard the same report, she was the only one that said, you know what? I could run, I could relocate, or I could surrender. I'm not going to fight. I'm going to surrender. And here's what we know about the story is she becomes a sign and a wonder. And I want you to know this about Rahab, that she actually goes on to have a pretty impressive resume, which actually most of us don't even realize, that a prostitute that grew up wrong, on the wrong side of the tracks that lived a immorally bankrupt life, morally bankrupt life, would go on to become a sign and a wonder to the known world and become a person of purpose and a person of influence. Here's my thesis today is that when you are living in God's purpose, there will be an influence that follows your life. There will be a wake of significance that your life and your legacy leaves behind you. You see, an inheritance is what you leave to your kids, but a legacy is what you leave behind you. 
Inheritance is what you leave to your kids. A legacy is what you leave in your kids. It's when you say that I live my life with such a purpose for God that it actually is going to outlive my days on the earth. And I feel like this morning, many of you don't realize this, but like Rahab, she's a sign and a wonder that if I can live with purpose, I can actually make a difference in the days that I live in. How do you live a life of purpose? Thank you for asking this morning. I appreciate that. It helps me out. The first thing I believe that she did that we do if we live a life of purpose, bold purpose, is we have to make a decision to resolve. I believe if you want to keep living between two worlds, I'll be a Christian on Sunday. I'm going to live like all of my lost friends Monday through Saturday. If you make decisions, if you, if you keep living between two worlds, straddling the fence of faith, I want enough of Jesus to make it to heaven, but I want enough of society to let me fit into the world. I believe many people are, are, are stuck between two worldviews. I love God, but I, I, ah, I like my habits as well. And I believe that Rahab made a, a purpose. She heard what everybody else heard, but she made a decision to believe something differently. Yeah. You see, I believe faith is a decision. And I love this because this prostitute's profession of faith was more important than her profession as a harlot. Yeah. Say it with me. Choose a side. I believe the reason why we're talking about Rahab thousands of years later is because something inside of her made a decision. I am not going to live in the valley of indecision. If God's real, let's go all in. I love what Michael said today. I am all in. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he can do what he says he can do, sign me up for all of it. I always tell people, if I can know God at a 10, I don't want to live life with him at a 4. I want all of him that he died on the cross to give me. And she made a decision to, to resolve in her heart. And we know this. And here's what I, my, my, my conviction is this morning, is that you will either bring your theology. Theology is a fancy word that basically means your belief in God. I want you to know everyone in this room is a theologian. Just some of you are poor theologians. Theology is your view of God. It's your relationship with God. And here's a, here's a sad truth, but it's, it is true, that you have two choices. You'll either bring your theology down to your reality, or you'll let your reality be lifted higher because of your theology. And I believe that Rahab is a sign and a wonder that goes, hey, I started in a broken place. I lived a broken life. I have been used, abused. I have sold my soul. I have sold my body. I have sold my life. Maybe you're here today and you go, I haven't sold my, my body, but you sold your allegiance. You sold your gifts out. You've sold maybe even, you've worshiped other things other than God. Maybe, listen, the truth is we've all sold out to something other than God sometimes. And Rahab teaches us this one powerful truth that she, she heard that God was real. And notice what she says in Joshua 2 verse 9. She says, I know that your God is Lord. I know. Can I be honest with you? There's far more things in life that I don't know than I do know. And if you think that you know more than you don't, then you are f deceived. Deception's like bad breath. You're the, always the last one to know you have it. <sighs> People say, what does deception feel like? It feels like the truth. And Rahab, she, she stumbles upon this revelation one day that she, she goes, I know, I know. And this is interesting. She calls God Yahweh. Yahweh was the personal name that Jews used to call God Lord. So she doesn't say, hey, I know that you're God generically. She goes, I know your personal Lord. Yahweh, he is God. 
And I, this is crazy. Long before she met any of Abraham's descendants, she believed in the God of Abraham. I believe this, that God is a God of mercy. He's a God of love. I actually believe that God didn't want anyone in Jericho to die that day. Notice a couple things about the story. Number one, there was no limit on how many scarlet cords could be, could be hung. I believe if the Israelites would have came back and saw 10,000 scarlet cords hanging out of the windows of the wall, every window that had a cord would have been saved. Do you know what the scarlet cord represents? It represents the blood of Jesus. It represents that when his blood, come on, it goes back to Passover. When the blood covers your house, there's safety. So the, all the guy said was, every window that has a cord hanging out of it will be spared. Number one. How about this other clause? Notice a couple, two, two other facts. He doesn't say there's a limit on how many people could go to your room. He doesn't say maximum occupancy, 13 persons. He says unlimited people. Anyone that's in your house will be saved. Anyone. And I want you to know that Rahab's house was a type and a shadow of God's church. And when there was chaos and toxic things floating in Jericho, there was peace, safety, and rest in her house. Come on, if you believe it, give God a hand clap. You believe that. Her house represents it. So she resolved in her heart, I will know. I know. And when you're facing a bunch of uncertainties, you have to let what you do know about God shape your attitude about what you don't know about life. Can I say it for the back? We have to let what we do know about God shape what we do not know about America, what we do not know about politics, what we do not know about California's future. We have to let our attitude of faith shape our attitude about everything else. Come on, let's go spot for an amen. Rahab goes, I have resolved in my heart. If I could paraphrase verses 8 through 11, here's, here's the Mark Francie paraphrase. She says, the whole city is talking about your armies. Everyone's losing their minds. The king can't sleep. The people can't eat. They're popping Xanax like Tic Tacs. The last ounce of courage has left on the morning train. She goes, I know your God is real. Here's the truth. Everyone heard about God. She was the only one that made a decision to resolve in her heart. Can I let you know that going to church makes you a Christian like owning an oven makes you a baker? Having a Christian mom or a Christian dad does not make you a believer. And I want you, I love Christianity because it is the greatest team family that we win collectively as the Big C Church. But it is also the greatest individual sport or relationship that no one else can get close to God for you. Here's a crazy theological idea. Do you know that no one else determines how close you are to God except you? Do you know that some of us are not born with special privileges? Oh, you're a pastor? You can know God at a 10. Oh, you're just a business guy? Oh, you only know God at a 2. Out of 3. I want, I want you to write this down today. You choose how close you live to Jesus. No one else. Stop making excuses. Well, if I had a better pastor, if I went to a better church, if I had a better upbringing, if, if I didn't get abused growing up, I didn't. And listen, we can all be victims one time, but we can't let that be an excuse to be victims the rest of our life. We have to make a conscious decision. I was born in this condition, but I don't have to die in that condition. Can I get an amen? If I can't get a Pentecostal amen, give me a Baptist head nod right now or a Presbyterian eyebrow raise. I take Latter-day Saint deep breaths. Come on, give me something. I believe she had a resolved heart. Number two, I believe that purpose, purpose, bold purpose individuals influence because they're willing out of their resolved hearts to take risk. Write this down. Say with me, risk. Do you know that Rahab risked her life? Why would you risk your life? Because I believe 
Resolve is always found and discovered in your actions. And some of you are like, well, Mark, I'm a Christian, but none of my friends know that I'm a Christian. Can I remind you that you're not? Because Christianity is visible in the way that you conduct yourselves. Your faith is visible in how you live. People like listening to messages, but I like seeing them more than I like listening to them. I want to tell you today that you, you only believe the parts of the body, the, you only believe the parts of the Bible that you live out. You might have 16,000 verses memorized and be practicing two of them. Spiritual maturity is not gauged by how much you know about God. It's, it's, it's based upon how much you know about him that you apply to the fabric of your daily life. Are you hearing me today? I would even say that we are information rich and we are relationally God with God poor. We have more podcasts, more preachers, more sermons, more Bible study equipment, more apps than we've had in any other window of history, but we still somehow have the most biblically illiterate Christians ever. How is that? I would let you know today that it's because God is only Lord over the areas that you let him apply his truth to your life. He made, he made this, this picture, sign and wonder with, with this woman named Rahab that God resolved in her heart and she took a risk. I would say that her advantage was that she had nothing to lose. She was already born and raised at the bottom. She already lost her reputation, her social standing. She had no chance for promotion in this life. So it's amazing that she took action to save two spies that were actually missionaries. I would argue that God did not need to scout the land. But God would send two spies that weren't spies. They were missionaries. And they were missionaries because God had a call and a purpose for this woman named Rahab. I love this fact that she was willing to risk because actions that reflect our resolve are the evidence of our faith. Actions that reflect our resolve is the evidence of our faith. Some of you right now, I'll tell you right now, it's easy to be generous when you're making tons of money. It's easy to be faith-filled when everything that you pray is answered. It's easy to go, man, I'm going to church every day that you have nothing else going on. But what are you like when life starts tightening in on you? Are you only generous when you have excess? Are you only making God a priority when nothing else is going on? Are you hearing me today? I'm amazed at how many people got close to God in the Great Recession that got blessed outside of church. After the recession was over, they got blessed out of the church. And I just think, man, when, when, when God was all they had, they realized he was all they needed. But when their businesses started coming back again and things started going well again, it's like, oh, I'm too busy to honor God. I'm too busy to go to a small group, to lead a group, to be a part of the church. I want to encourage you today that we have to let our actions reflect our convictions. Can I get an amen? And I believe that when our actions reflect our resolve, it is evidence of our faith. Number three, what would Rahab tell us today if we're going to live bold, bold purpose out? I believe bold purpose living is connected to the prayers that we pray, which I want you to write this down, request. Request. You know what's interesting? This is, this is a powerful thought. Write this down. That your prayers reveal the condition of your soul. Did you know that what you talk to God about reveals the condition, the true condition of your soul. If you think God's a genie that you're just like, come on, God, bless me, bless the food, bless the mac and cheese, bless everything. Amen. That, come on, God is more than a genie. Can I get an amen from somebody? I believe that what you talk to God about reveals what you believe about him. There's only two types of Jesus. There's big Jesus and there's little Jesus. Little Jesus, and we believe that, man, the church just has to survive until he comes back. 
But the big Jesus is the God that has the power to turn economies around. Turn countries back to God. I don't preach a little J Jesus. I preach a big J Jesus. He's a big God that does big things. If you believe it, come on, say amen. She makes this request. And I believe that when you're living on purpose, you'll actually, you'll do the same thing. The closer you get to God, the more you'll bring the people that matter to you into his presence. I've learned to talk to God about my neighbors before I talk to my neighbors about God. I believe that if you'll talk to God about your family, your friends, you know what's interesting? Funerals have a way of balancing what's weighty and what matters in life more than anything else. It's easy to get a promotion, a bonus, an accolade that, that, that strokes your ego. But I'll be honest with you right now that it's funerals that remind you what's really important in life. I would actually tell you today that if someone came to you as a doctor and said, you have three weeks to live, I want to tell you right, one thing right now. You're not going to say, I got to spend more time in the office. You're not going to say, man, I got to close a couple more deals. I got to spend a few more hours away from my loved ones. You know what's interesting about, about death? is it has a property within it to remind us what's important in life. And I want to tell you today this, that Rahab teaches us when death is in, imminent to her people, her request, we you know what her request was? It was this, would you please, when you come back, because I did this for you, because I risked, because I resolved, would you do me one favor? Would you please grant my request to save my mom, to not forget about my dad? I love my daddy. I love my mom. I, my brother, yeah, he gets on my nerves sometimes, and my sister's crazy, you know, most of the time. But would you please have mercy on my family? And I want to just tell you right now that God wants to have mercy on your family. God is a God of households. Can I get an amen today? I believe that God doesn't want you to be the only believer in your family. I believe that he wants your entire family to know who he is. So she, she begins to plead for the, her family, for her loved ones, because in the face of certain death, you start discovering what really matters in life. If my time is short, please, God, have mercy on my family, on my friends. Have mercy on my leaders, my bosses, my employees, my pastors, my presidents, my, my police officers, my, the people in my life. Would you please have mercy? And I believe the closer you get to God, the more the people in your life matter to you. Yes. And today I think that, I want to just reiterate this every week. Any religion, any belief system that gives you permission to hate people yes. is not in the heart of God. Right. We never have permission to live with perpetual hate towards people. Yes. So if you're here today, we're going, to be, we're going to be a church that lifts up requests. That we're going to fill gaps with God's love. She actually prayed for her loved one. She stood in the gap. I believe prayer is our response to anything that's urgent. Urgent matters enlist communion with God. I'll say it again. Urgent matters in your life should, should turn an alarm clock inside of you that goes, hey, I need to talk to God about this thing. And I want to just let you know that if you only talk to God when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. God is not my last line of defense. He is my first choice. And it's amazing how many things that we ask God to heal later that he could have prevented originally. I believe that God wants us to be people that bring bold requests. Say it with me, bold requests. I would love it even this way. I feel this in my heart as the band comes up here. I'm almost finished. That we have to be a church that doesn't offer up little requests. I think God wants to be asked for big things. And I'll be honest with you. I always say this, that what you ask God for reveals how big you think he is. What you ask God to do 
or what you believe God can do reveals the size of God in your eyes. Some of you don't pray about your bills because you don't think God's big enough to fix them. Some of you don't pray about your job because you don't think God, God can deal in that world. Some of you don't even pray about your kids because you're like, ah, they'll just, they have free will. I want you to know that when you see God big, you'll begin to ask God for big things. Can I get a good amen in here? Can we be honest today? Maybe God isn't as big as you think he is, and maybe the evidence is found in what you're asking for. What is your request? Can I challenge Ocean Church today? Can we start asking God for big things? I'm not talking about monetarily, just like Rolls Royces and Jets. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about, can we ask God to save some unsavable people? Can we ask God to visit some politicians you never thought would hear his voice? My little five-year-old this week, she was asking, she saw one of the president uh, nominees on the news, and she said, is so-and-so, is he a good guy? That's what she said. Is he a good guy? And to be honest with you, he wasn't who I want to vote for. I, I wasn't going to tell my five-year-old that he's a bad guy. You know what I told my five-year-old? I said, oh, we, we love him. We pray for him and we pray for the other president. And I taught my, listen, in a moment that it would have been easy for my humanity to write somebody off, I'm going to teach future generations that I believe in a God that can visit who I vote for and who I do not vote for. I wish someone would give God a hand clap in here. If you only love people like you, you're not really a Christian. If you only love people that vote like you, you're not really a Christian. Are you hearing me today? I would argue that those that probably don't vote like you are the ones that might need Jesus even more. The problem with the church is, is we judge people that, that live different than we live that have never experienced what we've experienced. Can I just tell you a secret? I expect sinners to sin if they haven't encountered God. I expect people to wander and live godless if they've never encountered God. Why would you put godly standards on someone that's never encountered God? And how about instead of writing them off, we say, God, encounter them. If you can do it for, if you knew for Rahab, you can get a hold of Esther. You can, you can do it for David and Mark Francie and Rochelle Wilde, Rochelle Francie. That's her new name. You can do it for anybody. Can I just challenge you? We're Christians. We bring bold requests. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Write this down. What's a big thing you can ask God for this week? Who's someone that's too far away? Who do you think's living outside of God's zip code? What circumstance do you think God, maybe, maybe on, a, on an awesome, miraculous day, he could bring change to? I want to ask you today, church, to be a, to be a bold, purpose-living individual by bringing bold requests, big requests to God. Hey, would you save my mom, my dad? They were probably, can I just remind you that she's a prostitute, so they were probably terrible parents. I don't know too many healthy moms and dads are like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, yeah, that's great. Go ahead. Can you imagine a brother or a sister allowing their sibling to go into that lifestyle? I would argue that she had probably the worst family anyone's ever had. But what's interesting is in the light of death, her heart burned for him. And I think she started feeling God's compassion towards those broken people. I'll be honest with you, the closer you get to God, the more what breaks his heart will begin to break your heart. The closer you get to Jesus, what breaks his heart will break your heart. You'll start having mercy on people that no one else has mercy on. Why? Because the closer you get to God, the more that bothers what bothers him will begin to bother you. She brought a bold request. Are you still with me today? 
So she resolved, she risked, she requested. You know what she did is she got ready. I think God is looking for people like Rahab that actually start hanging the scarlet cords out the door of their lives. She started telling all of her family. She started getting everybody prepared inside of her house. She said, hey guys, I'm watching for the army. This army is coming. They're coming back again. We gotta clean this house out. We gotta get rid of the furniture that's taking up valuable space. We need to make sure that that scarlet cord has not blown away in that windstorm. We need to have an extra scarlet cord just in case that thing blows off. I believe every morning she woke up and made sure that thing was still tight. I believe every day she was recruiting family and friends. Hey, there's some stuff coming down the road. You need to get inside the house. There's some crazy stuff happening out in Jericho. Get in the house. There is some change politically and powers and economically that are shaking this world. Get in my house. And I want to tell you as believers, this should be our mantra. It's crazy out, out there in the world. Where is the safest place to be? God's house. Where is the most life-giving place to be? Why would you value Sunday mornings in church? Because there is something in the house that's not found anywhere else in Jericho. I'm ready. I'm ready. And I believe the last thing that she, she recruited, obviously, but the last thing she did is she was redeemed. One of my friends was a pastor, kind of an uncle in the faith. He got severe cancer in his body and had one of the greatest doctors in the Northwest area. And this, this female doctor, she goes, she says, uh, look, this is very severe. Pretty much every doctor is going to tell you that you're going to die. She says, I know that I can treat you and I know I can spare your life with this treatment, but I will literally bring you to death's doorstep. And when I do, there's going to be parts of your body that are destroyed and going after this cancer. She actually had such radiation that he lost his teeth. He lost his hips, like part of his, parts of his hips. So he can't walk upstairs. He has dentures now. All these things. His body was broken down. But he said something so powerful. I remember him saying this, that he walked and he loved cycling. He was a bike, bike rider. He loved sports and exercising. And when he came in the, the doctor's office and she said, I, the cancer's gone. You're going to live. But I want you to know today, and she said his name, that you're never going to be able to ride your bike again. You're never going to be able to walk up staircase without pain. You're never going to play sports again. And he put his heads down and tears began to stream down his cheeks. And she gave him some of the greatest advice I've ever heard any doctor give anybody. She said, she said, you're supposed to be dead. You're alive. And that's what she went on to say. She said, you have to pick up the pieces that you have left. And you have to build something great with the pieces you still have. And I believe that's what God does is he picks up the broken pieces of our life and he puts them back together again in a way and he builds something great. Notice that Rahab does not die lonely and desolate outside of the camp. Verse 25 of chapter 6 says that she dwells amongst us to this day. The author writes the story years after the event happened and she goes, oh, oh, yeah, Rahab, she's still, she actually didn't just live amongst us to this day. She actually married a nobleman by the name of Solomon. Solomon was, uh, was a really awesome prince, kind of amongst the people, wealthy. They got pregnant with a little boy, and they named him Boaz. Boaz was probably so inspired by his mom's story of faith that he was willing to take a risk on a Moabitess woman by the name of Ruth. Ruth and Boaz would get married, have a little baby named Obed. Obed would have a little kid named Jesse. Jesse would have eight sons, the youngest of which we call David. David will become the greatest king in the history of Israel. 
give birth to the wisest king that ever lived by the name of Solomon. And what we know is, is the greatest kings in the lineage of Israel, from Hezekiah to Josiah, came out of the lineage of a broken prostitute by the name of Rahab. Rahab was redeemed. Rahab was redeemed. She was born wrong, she lived wrong, she did wrong, but in God's, God's mercy, he did what she could not do for herself. She literally died in the lineage of God. And I want you to know that her story is our story, that me and you, we can die and we can live in the lineage of God. What do you mean? That we are, we are, we are heirs, we are sons, we are daughters, that our history can be part of our story of God's goodness. I believe the chorus of the redeemed is always the same. It's like this, I was, but now. I was, but now. You know what redeemed people say? I was an alcoholic. I, I was a, 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 a sexually abused. I was, I was perverted. I was greedy. I, I was nasty. I was unforgiving. I was stingy. But now, God, with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, he touched my heart. He changed my nature. He opened up my eyes. And he's given me a new song to sing. I was, but now. That is the anthem of the redeemed. And Rahab's story is our story. I was a lost prostitute, but now I am the mother of kings. I was, but now. This reminds me of a story about 100 years ago about a group of fishermen who were dining in a Scottish seaside inn, swapping fishing stories. One of the guys was so demonstrative as he was talking about the size of the fish that he caught that he, he made a gesture and knocked over the hostess and the waiter's tea, tea uh, kettle and spilled the tea, this brown tea, all over this whitewashed wall. This large brown spot covered the whole wall. The owner was obviously upset when he saw the brown spot, and he goes, great, now I have to repaint and replace that wall. And the man that spilled the tray said, he said, hey, don't, before you do that, let me work with it. And the man pulled out some pencils and brushes and an art box, and with some paint, he began to sketch lines around the stains. He began to dab the shades of colors through the tea splashes. In time, the image actually emerged. It was a stag, a, it was a deer, and a great rack of antlers. The man drew this beautiful picture, signed the bottom of it, paid his tab, and he left. His name was Sir Edwin Landseer. He was a famous painter of wildlife. Watch this. In his hands, one mistake became a masterpiece. In the hands of an artist, a mistake turned into a masterpiece. And I want you to know today that we serve a God that even if your entire life feels like a mistake, he turns mistakes. I wish someone helped me preach a little bit this morning into masterpieces. Can you give God a standing ovation if you believe he's a masterpiece making God out of mistakes? Come on, give him a hand clap and a shout. Hey! Some cultures are unredeemable, but there's not one human being on the world, in the world, that's unredeemable. The gospel doesn't make bad people good, it makes dead people alive. 
I believe that today, that what happened in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 can happen in Orange County today. I believe that God is going to make some of us bold with purpose. I heard one person write it like this. Those who dance are thought crazy by those that hear not the music. I want to hear the music of heaven that says there is a purpose. There is a cause. And I'm going to live for my purpose. I'm going to resolve. I'm going to risk. Come on, anybody with me today? I'm going to risk. I'm going to request. I'm going to live ready. And I'm going to let God redeem my story. Anybody in here feel like there's some things in my life I want God to redeem? Anybody believes there's some redemption that needs to take place? Lift your hands. I feel faith today. I pray for anyone that's been through Lord trauma, anyone that grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, anyone that opened up doors to darkness at an early age, anyone, Lord, that had things happen to them that they allowed or they caused. I pray, Lord, whether they were victims or whether they, they were voluntary uh, 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 candidates, I ask you, Lord, today, through divorce, through trial, through trauma, through mental illness, I ask you that today would be a day of healing and a day of redeeming. We still believe there's power in the name. We still believe that you heal. We still believe, God, that you can make masterpieces out of awful accidents. I ask you today in Jesus' name that you would turn the mistakes of yesterday into the masterpieces of the future. We know Romans 8.28 says that God causes all things together to work for good to those that love him are called according to his purposes. I ask you today that, Lord, the mistakes of yesterday will be the masterpieces of tomorrow in the master's hands. How many believe that there's power today? Anybody believe there's still power to change, power to heal, power to rewrite? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.